There's yeah, also like bag, even... there's bags of human waste up there. There's I mean, literally bags yeah. of human poo on the moon. You know, it makes you wonder if you go to the Apollo 11 site, <laughs> if everything's still there, how it holds up in the vacuum of space. Just step in like 30 year old poo. Welcome back to the pod thing that's coming out on the greatest week so far of this year. I'm Corey. I'm Antonio. And Antonio, do you know why it's the greatest week of the year so far? Uh, I mean, aside from the anniversary of the Apollo mission? Yeah, actually, we have a, a couple of reasons. We have the anniversary of Apollo 11, 51, uh, 51 years ago, that they landed on the moon. We had a Nintendo Direct happen earlier in the happen early week. We got some rocket launches that have happened, but none of that matters when it pales in comparison to the fact that the baseball season starts up. There's exhibition games on right now, and the U.S. Army esports team is currently on the diamond. You know, speaking of uh, speaking of baseball, when you texted me earlier and you said space junk, I thought you were referring to the Houston Astros and the new name. Oof. Yeah, no, we prefer trash can bangers around here. Oh, I see. Yeah, we're the uh, Houston, you know, stomp, stomp, stomp. That's what we are. But fair enough. But speaking of the Astros and the Army, uh, it yeah. seems like we might have a couple of issues coming up soon. Maybe. So, not only is the Army banned on Twitch for redirecting contest winners to recruitment pages, because that's actually something the Army does, and it doesn't surprise me. It's something the Army did. It's the military. They also seem to be infringing on the Astros logo, which if you look at the Army Esports logo, and I'll post pictures up on the podcast page so y'all can see this around the time that the episode drops, they literally took the logo, flipped it, and cut the tail. And that's it. I mean, you know, if anybody wants to go on Twitter, any eager listeners, and uh, let the Astros know if they haven't found out yet, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, they would be eternally grateful for uh, the tip-off of their copyright infringement. And, you know, it would get their name in the press for a reason other than covering a Beats song from Doug. Moving on on our list of news. There are We've also got some sad news today. We do have sad news today. It happened last week. Well, between episodes, I guess, is the best way for us to put that. A legend of... I mean... I guess the best way to put it is a legend of, of, I guess, general geekiness is the way to put it. Yeah, we, we lost a, a legend in nerddom, uh, all-around engineering geek, and uh, beloved, beloved Mythbuster, R2-D2 builder, uh, Granty Mahara. All-around good guy. Stories that have come out. Since he passed, you know, he built a baby Yoda himself to take to hospitals to cheer up children with. We didn't deserve him. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. We should uh, have a moment of silence for him.
It's hard to try to transition from a moment of silence. So I think the only way I can really do it is... Antonio, what was your favorite thing of Grant did on Mythbusters? Honestly, I, I don't think I've, I've got a single favorite thing. That's like asking me, you know, if I have a single favorite Adam Savage thing or... Um, you know, and, and it's... His, his general presence on the show, uh, you know... I, I felt that uh, I felt that overall he was just a uh, you know a great addition to it. Uh, you know it was it was always great to uh, <clears throat> it was always great just to you know to to see him on there. I think I thought he brought a great presence to the show. I I thought that he had a good attitude about things. Um, he was very creative uh, and willing to push the boundaries as as everyone on that show was. Um, Absolutely. I I don't, like you, I don't really have a favorite moment of his on Mythbusters, but I can tell you it was an inspiration watching him on there and just seeing the things he could come up with in Bold. It just made him work, especially when, you know, Adam and Jamie on the show didn't want to deal with the build anymore. Grant would be like, I can do it. And he'd do it. He was just there. He did it. And it always seemed like they had a lot of fun, especially that build team with him. Um, Carrie and Tori, they always seem to have a lot of fun. And if you guys haven't seen it, their Netflix show, White Rabbit Project, it only got a season, but it was really good too. So I guess we'll move on from that to talk about other things. And one of those things being Xbox discontinuing their 12-month Xbox Live Gold subscription. Personally, as a PlayStation guy, it doesn't matter too much to me. But I know there's some people it does. I understand it does a cost difference and et cetera. But I think it's a good, I, it's an interesting take from Microsoft. They discontinued the Xbox One X. So you no longer have your high-end One X Xbox. All you got is the One S. And now this. All ears up for the Xbox Series X launch. Or as I have affectionately dubbed it, the Sex Box. Yeah, that's a it was a bit of a weird move on Microsoft's part, I think, to to discontinue their, uh, you know, their system and support uh, as they did. Uh, didn't really seem to make that much sense. Um, I mean, I understand they're trying to make way for their new system, but that's um, it's a bit of an uncharacteristic move. I mean, even even after the Xbox One came out, you know, there was um, still plenty of support coming out for the 360. Uh, you know, there's still there were still games coming out for the 360 that were 360 exclusives. Um, the 360 so, facelift when the Xbox One came out. It did, it did. But I mean, but then again, so did the Xbox One just now before you know before this new system. Well, in a way, yes, it didn't really get a facelift. They just kind of slimmed product offerings. But I think it's weird for Microsoft to do this in an age where. When it comes to multiplayer, Xbox is kind of your multiplayer-focused experience on a console right now. So for them to ditch their 12-month subscription fee is just a little strange to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does, it does seem a bit odd. I mean, um, I say that, uh, but I remember when the Just Generation started, we complained when PlayStation started charging you to use their online service instead of the free freedom they offered with it being free originally on PS3. Yeah, I mean, that... You know, at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to it all being a business. Um, I mean, for for all the things that we can complain about in regards to uh, what Microsoft is doing, um, you know, or even even Nintendo, I found out recently that uh, 
Nintendo for their Mario Kart uh, Switch bundle. Uh, Nintendo was pushing retailers, uh, specifically GameStop, uh, which we'll get into more in a moment, but they were pushing retailers, specifically GameStop, to sell the older product that they knew uh, had diminished battery life uh, on purpose. I mean, doesn't surprise me. And we also know GameStop has some shady business practices, which, which we shall go ahead and dive into now. Um, Antonio, you brought this story to my attention. Oh, man, yeah. So the, the GameStop story is... Uh, it's, it's actually crazy. There's a, a YouTuber by the name of Camelot331, and it's, it's gotten so bad as far as GameStop is concerned that you basically... If you're an associate and you mention him, then you are fired. If you are a customer and you mention him, then you're pretty much kicked out of the store. You know, because GameStop corporate is trying so, so hard to really clamp down on what he's been doing. But he's he's been exposing a lot of their practices. More specifically, the fact that they have been uh, closing down stores because of COVID-19. But in the process of closing down stores... They've basically closed stores that have reservations, uh, and they have no intention of reopening them. Uh, and they are not refunding any of that reservation money for consoles or for games. Uh, and they are not transferring any of that reservation information uh, to any neighboring stores if the, uh, the store that holds a reservation is closing down. So they are literally just stealing uh, millions and millions of dollars from the consumer, and they know it. They, they are fully aware of the fact that they are stealing from their longtime customers, and they don't care. Um, it's been a while, but they got rid of the, uh, the 10% off on used games for the, uh, power-up rewards, and they have uh, made it a mandatory, uh, they made it a mandatory practice now, uh, in-store, uh, where they essentially have to automatically tack on a power-up rewards membership, uh, for $19.99 to your purchase, whatever it is. They are no longer allowed to offer you the $14.99 uh, power-up re- uh, power rewards program. They're only allowed to offer you the $19.99 one. And even if you reject it, they, uh, they have instructed their associates to automatically put it onto your transaction to try and sneak it in there, which is pretty damn illegal. Uh, but they're, they're doing it anyways, and they're telling the associates that if they don't do it, they are fired. Uh, so they have to, they're, they're being required to meet these numbers. So it's kind of one of those things of like, if you do shop at GameStop, which I don't recommend uh, at this point, unless one is closing down, then by all means, take advantage of the cut prices. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Take advantage of those sales. I mean, GameStop itself yeah, has been going down for a while, and you should have seen something was going to happen when Game Informer staff started jumping as well. I mean, just recently, Andy Nakamura, the chief editor of Game Informer, pretty much since its inception, you know him, I've seen articles. Anyone who's had a GameStop, GameStop you know, power-up rewards card has seen his, his writings. He left. He now works for EA, um, as have a bunch of other writers who jumped ship. They shuttered Think Geek a year or so ago and basically bastardized it and got rid of a lot of what they had in that, in that entity. I mean, GameStop's been showing it for a while, and hopefully their fall brings about the rise of more mom-and-pop stores. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, so we're hoping. Um, honestly, I can't even recall, uh, aside from like CD traders and you know a lot of second-hand stores, I can't even recall ever really seeing a mom and pop gaming store. Um, you know, like I said, I've seen a couple of the used retailers that sell old cartridges and stuff and um, older discs. But as far as like new ones, I mean, you know, it's really all just Best Buy and Amazon and Walmart. And that's it. I mean, yeah, the local game stores around where I'm at are just that they sell used games. 
retro games, you know, things like that. Unfortunately, they don't sell many new games, but maybe the fall of GameStop could bring that about. Or what you're going to see, because if the fall of GameStop also sucks up a huge used market. I mean, yes, Best Buy now takes and sells used games, as does Walmart. That hurts GameStop in the end, too, because those used games are almost 100% profit for them. They can buy them for whatever they want. Oh, but they don't care. That's 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 really the main the main focus here is they don't care. Um, you know, all of their executives uh, at corporate are at home during the coronavirus pandemic, and they are forcing all of their you know regular associates uh, and store managers to you know be at the store, quote unquote, on the front lines. So it's it's just a thing. I mean, it's GameStop. Unfortunately, they're gonna be GameStop about it. We'll see what happens. Maybe, like I said, maybe this will be the end. And we'll see more mom and pop shops happen. But until then, we'll we'll see. I guess that brings me to the last bit of news that we have for this episode, and that is that there was a Nintendo Direct, a very short, eight minutes long. I was not impressed. Yeah, you were uh, you were telling me about that. Go ahead and give us some some details on that. So, yeah, three, four games technically announced. Only one's actually a new game, so led off with Cadence of Hyrule, the Crypt of the Necrodancer Zelda spinoff. Led off with that getting not one, not two, but three separate paid DLC packs, two of which just kind of give you more characters and more music in separate packs. The third one is interesting enough where you play a Skull Kid going through a Lost Woods style map. Um, So that looked really cool. Middle game, definitely a hard pass from me is wwe 2k battlegrounds it's an arcade style brawler so take it what it is it's kind of almost like wrestling smash not for me it'll be for someone and finally atlas games showed up to give us two games that they're bringing to the switch the first one is a remake remaster hd remaster of shin megami tensei 3 and then they announced shin megami tensei 5 trailer for Shin Megami Tensei 5 and the internet's gonna hate me because apparently it and Persona are, you know, the bee's knees of fucking RPGs out there right now, you know, they're the tits, they're everything that everybody ever wants. You wanna know why Nintendo doesn't have Persona on the Switch? Because it would look like Shin Megami Tensei 5. I mean, if it makes you feel any better and you really want to talk about an Atlas game that's being remade and re-released for the Switch, I mean, there is Catherine. Yeah, but that's a good game. That is a good game. And I'm not saying that Shin Megami Tensei and Persona aren't good games to those who play them. They're not for me. I'd rather play Shin Megami Tensei than Persona. But speaking of looking at the way things are looking on on the Switch for the trailer they showed, it's just it's choppy, blocky, and I just I don't think Switch and Unreal Four are a great pairing. It seems. Uh, probably not. I'm sure that you know, and in the process of uh, in the process of porting, uh, they they really need to consider who it is uh, that is making their their software that is going to be, you know, essentially running the game on the Switch. Uh, and you're right, I think I think Unreal tends to be a little too detailed, a little too powerful for for Switch to handle. Um, I don't think the hardware has it. No, and the problem with this is that so far the only system that SMT5's been announced for is the Switch. I mean... So, it's just... For- Look, it can always be worse. You know, you can you could download the Switch port of Outer Worlds and then uh, really hate yourself. Really bad things about that too. But I mean, it is a sci-fi romp, so it would have fit into our theme this month. 
you know, there's other things I would have rather seen be announced by Nintendo Direct. I know this was a short one and it was focusing on third parties, so that I get it. You know, I understand it's a third party thing, whatever. I really do want to see some news on Prime 4 or on Breath of the Wild 2. Or if we're going to talk third party games that could go to Nintendo, show me something from Capcom that would be exclusive for the Switch. You know, maybe Nintendo could give me some F Zero stuff. I mean, Nintendo's also not really known for their third party support anymore. And the Switch, while having it, hasn't really shown. You don't get your major trilogy releases brand new on the Switch, aside from a few of them, like MK4, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, those came out on Switch. But you don't see many mass releases where it's coming to all three consoles at the same time. Switch comes much later. Well, yeah, and you're not going to because they have to dumb it down for the Switch. Um, you know, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, uh, you know, as far as, as far as the Switch operating system is concerned and the power that the console itself has, um, and, and, you know, before, before people start going, oh, but Zelda, yes, but Zelda. But Zelda... Is is cell shaded. It is two D layer on top of two D layer on top of two D layer, and it's very it's very easy for the Switch to run something like that because it is cell shaded. Um, not to mention the fact that Zelda is proprietary Nintendo software, so they can literally tweak it to work absolutely perfectly on the Switch. Um, you know, and even then, if you were to run uh, and we've seen it with different, you know, Zelda games where they've uh, they've ported it through through an Unreal Engine, uh, and you see the the HD uh, fan remakes that are done, and it looks exponentially better than what Nintendo has put out. Um, but as far as like Zelda's concerned, like yeah, Zelda's a large game, but Zelda is is not the same, um, you know, as some of these uh, massive uh, HD uh, AAA titles that we're seeing. Um, and so you have to consider that the power that the Switch has is probably about the same, if not a little less, than a really high-end Xbox 360. Uh, the only difference is that it's portable. I mean, yeah. And that's the thing that most people, and a lot that talk about the things with Switch as well, or need to remember is the fact that, at the end of the day, the Switch is a handheld console. It can play on the TV, but it is a handheld and the Switch Lite revision ultimately shows that it was designed to be a handheld first. But I guess, so, let's put a pin in the news for now, shall we, and move into talking about the heart and soul of what we wanted to get to this month, which is the sci-fi summer continuing on. Because I finally watched something. Yeah, what did you finally finish? Tell, tell the uh, listeners at home. Alright, so I finally finished season two of Lost in Space, and let me tell you what. I didn't expect it to go the direction it went. I didn't expect some of the arcs that I saw. Hastings is a fucking dick, and that's what I've said. But yeah, no, I watched I watched it, and it was good. Um, I really enjoyed watching this series as a whole, um, especially with everything else I've watched up to recently that's been just consuming. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Yep, and did I, did I not tell you that Will, Will grows as a character? Oh, but he does. I mean... They're still at the beginning of the season, and even through this season, it goes through and shows you that he's been insufferable for a while. Um, but he does get better as the season progresses, which was great. And to the end, when he really, he even says it himself that he's grown and the robot's grown. They've both grown. Both same. Both same. Also, Scarecrow coming back and saving the day at the end was really cool. Spoiler alert. That was pretty good. But yeah, there were some different things. There's a few things I wanted to discuss here on the show about it. Um... Number one is Dr. Smith's character redemption seems to be something that you didn't really you didn't really know that was going to happen, I guess. 
Well, we still don't know if it's happened. I mean, she she might have redeemed herself, but she, the the last words that Maureen had for her, you know, were uh, you you just keep on surprising me, uh, you know, so, and and all you see is the top of her armor. So was that some uh, was that some light censorship so that we didn't uh, you know see her get all chopped up by robots, or was that hinting at the idea that maybe she got away somehow? You know, and that's entirely possible. Um, maybe she did get away somehow. Maybe she... Who knows? I, I don't know if she maybe got away. I actually am in the camp that she died. I mean, from them showing the cracks up through the helmet and everything. I mean, it would have. It makes sense for her to die, but I mean, this is, you know, this is a TV show. So, who knows? They, they might just really, really need to, like, hit that home. But as a TV show that, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's, what am I looking for here? It's very implied violence in this show. It is very implied violence in the show. You, you see very, very little blood, if any. Yeah, and you see very little blood, if any, in the show. Um, it gives you a good gore warning. Nobody overtly dies on screen. Nobody gets their head blown apart. It's not a violent, like, HBO-style show. It is very much a family show. So I don't think they'd show her die on screen. So, oh, by the way, speaking of inappropriate things on on shows that otherwise wouldn't be, so I I discovered something quite crazy uh, while rewatching Star Trek TNG. Okay, uh, Picard Picard says shit, like Picard actually says the word shit on on the show, uncensored. Interesting. It's not it's not the way you think it is. He doesn't say shit. He says merd because if you recall, his character is French. Yes. Well, they didn't bleep that out. They they thought that it was just a good way in the 80s of, of getting around uh, actually saying a curse word on so a network show. So he actually says the word shit in French on Star Trek. So it makes me wonder if in the French dub of Star Trek, if it's bleeped out. Uh, probably not. I don't think the French have those, um, those kinds well, of really sad little here. sensitivities about those things. To talk about Star Trek for a moment. Did you know that in Japan, Star Trek Discovery is branded as a Netflix original series? Uh, I did, but only because you told me earlier this week. Yes, I got to play with the VPNs for a little bit, so I discovered that, and it just was interesting to me to see that as a Netflix original show. But Picard's not on there, so when Picard hits it, maybe then I'll go use it and watch Netflix from Japan. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to get a VPN. Uh, we're not sponsored by NordVPN, but I'm going to fucking get one. I mean, to so. be fair, it's not Nord that I'm using. There we are. Yeah, I don't. I'm not using Nord. Actually, if you must know, I use where you. I'm using PIA, Private Internet Access. Oh. Well, and so they yeah, actually I, had a sale when I bought it. And no, this is not sponsored. But you can get three years of service for like forty bucks, or a year of. You can get a year of service for forty bucks, or two years for seven. Two years or twenty twenty six months for seventy. Interesting. I will. I will definitely check that out. Um. I would, I would really like to uh, have have international Netflix. Uh, when I was in Japan, I definitely got to see some interesting things on Netflix that we don't have here. Uh, I didn't see Star Trek Discovery on there, but it probably wasn't on there when I was there. But either way, I would, I would very much uh, like to indulge in some of my favorite Japanese Netflix shows. The downside I have discovered, though, is that they don't have an English subtitle option for animes. Womp womp. So, I guess I gotta learn Japanese now. I mean, yeah, you, you could. Totally could. That might be something that happens. Now, 
let's move into talking about some other stuff that happened. We've talked a little bit about Lost in Space. Actually, there's more about Lost in Space I want to talk about, because we can't move on yet. Because we haven't gotten into talking about a couple of other things. Uh, one being Dawn this season, being Mr. Helpful. And his rescue, I, I'm not going to lie, his rescue of Penny, who all stuck themselves in the experiment cabinet, that was golden. That was great. I really liked it. Shows you that these things can survive the vacuum of space. Oh, yeah, the Oreos. Yeah. Well, the yeah. Oreos survived. No, I mean, they put, them, they put themselves in the science cabinet. Oh, that. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that was that. But uh, they, also, the, uh, the Oreos can survive being space garbage. Absolutely, they can. I, they can survive in space is what we've discovered. At least in, so. in the Lost in Space universe. I don't know. We have yet to see if uh, we have yet to see if our astronauts will take a pack of Oreos into space and uh, you know expose those to the uh, the radiation in the vacuum of space. Yeah, no, I don't want that. I don't want irradiated Oreos. I just want Oreos. Is that so much to ask, Lost in Space? Give me my Oreos. I, I see. I see. ESPN is paying us a visit today. Ah, uh, yes. As we are doing this today, I am actually drafting my fantasy baseball team. Currently, looking he's, for he's my collecting pieces picture. of space junk. No, I've actually only been able to draft. I think I don't even think I've actually drafted an Astro yet. In fact, I haven't. I have Francis. I have an Indian, a Brave, a National, and a Ray. That's what I have. Other things in Lost in Space. Um, Maureen's mutiny. That was an interesting. I didn't quite see her being the one to lead a mutiny. It's something I've expected of John. Uh, yes and no. I think I think that for John it might have worked. Um, if not for the fact that like John doesn't have as much pull within the group because the like Marina is the reason why all of them are there to begin with because she's the one who actually works for like the you know the 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 space government as it were the the space colony. Uh, John John is just there as kind of like an add on. Um. But you know, Marina's also the reason we needed a mutiny. It's true, but she, but she's she's the actual authority in that family as far as like their their space government is concerned because she's the astrophysicist. She is she is the reason why all of them are on this expedition to begin with. Otherwise, they all would have stayed on Terra. You know, and speaking of reasons that they're all in the expedition to begin with, her reason her trade for Will comes back and bites her in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It certainly does. But we knew that was going to happen. There was all this foreshadowing that, you know, it had to happen that way. Oh, I mean, yeah, and it always has to. We know the way these things go when it comes to shows, when they give you things that overtly obvious that they made a trade for something. But hey, at least I was wrong when she didn't have an affair. It's true. Instead, she gave her security codes to Hastings, who's a dick. Yeah. Like, there's no other way to put it. I mean... And really what gets all of the catalysts for like half of the season in order is water that destroys metal. Uh, it, wasn't water that de- it wasn't water that destroys metal. It was a microbe in the atmosphere that ate away at the metal. Was it in the atmosphere or was it in the water? Because the water is what was contaminated. When it, it, went wasn't, back it, to... wasn't, it wasn't specifically the water because if you recall, it, uh, when they had the, um, what do they call those damn things? The chariots. Uh, they were driving the chariots around, and you saw that a lot of the, the bolts were, were being eroded away on the chariots. And it's just because they were exposed to the, to the, the atmosphere, to whatever I mean, the chemical compound in the atmosphere the, and the dust. The weathering of the, of the robot. Right. As a, as a mechanic, I can say with great certainty, you don't, you don't use water on uh, metal parts on cars. You, the, <laughs> it's not a thing you do. But uh, yeah, they were, they were exposed to the atmosphere, and then that's why like, it was... It was specific metals. It was titanium uh, that that was getting eroded away. 
And so it was, uh, you started seeing it with, uh, like, their rings. Like, people had, like, titanium wedding rings. Uh, and then it was, like, the titanium bolts specifically that were on the chariots that were being eaten away. Uh, titanium water piping, things like that. And then, of course, because the ships are made of titanium, uh, at least their metal framing is made of titanium, that's what was being affected the most. Right. So, And that was also a good example of, uh, you know, and that was another great example of, of a mechanic knowing more. Uh, than the engineers, because the engineers are still trying to figure it out while Don West is like, uh, yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, stop the chariot. Every, it seems like the highlight, one of the things in this, in this series that it continues to always show you is that no matter what, Don's always right. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, Don has always been right. Whether it be, oh, I know, the ship, you can take off more weight, and it can do this, to, you know, just that with a Hey, stop the thing, or hey, you can put them in that science cabinet. I know because I'm a smuggler and I've done it. Here's what to expect in the cold vacuum of space, and I'm going to be waiting for you with a blanket, and that's what happens. Don West, ladies and gentlemen, best guy in the galaxy. He is the best guy in the galaxy. But I guess my question becomes, who's a better smuggler, him or Han Solo? Uh, It depends on what you want, honestly. I mean, if you're, uh, you know... If if you're looking for whiskey, uh, while you're in you know out in space, then then I feel like Don West might be your man. Uh, if you're looking for a chicken to be your companion, I think Don West might be your man. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking for a person who really really poorly misquotes science and and suggests that you know he can he can make the Kessel run in under twelve parsecs when a parsec is a unit of distance, not a measurement of time. You know. That's fine. I, I yeah, I totally want a smuggler who doesn't know the difference between you know seconds and miles. What if I want a scruffy looking nerf herder? If you want a scruffy looking looking nerf herder, then you definitely go for Han Solo. Um, if you want a guy who gets murked by his own son, you also go for Han Solo. So which? Well, uh, if you want if you Don want a guy who's guy. yeah, I think Don West is your guy. If you want if you want a guy whose entire marriage falls apart even after surviving a war and a rebellion just because your kid is a piece of shit. Uh, you go for Han Solo. So, I know this is going to talk us in Star Wars, but was Ben Solo a piece of shit, or was Disney Luke Skywalker the piece of shit? I think that the greatest villain of all in Star Wars is Disney and Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, I think Kathleen Kennedy is the greatest villain of all Star Wars, let's be honest here. That's, that's uh, I think. Man, we can just end the show on that, can't we? Or Kathleen Kennedy, or Kathleen rather. Kathleen Kennedy. Kennedy. But... Lost in space. What else can we touch on? I guess something else I'd like to try to touch on is the relationship between Will and... And I can't remember his name right now. He died. Lightning Storm. Bringing back Scarecrow right before all the... You know who I'm talking about, right? Uh, what? I can't think of his name. The guy with the disruptors that he took down the one. Scarecrow helped him. Oh, yeah. The guy who was, um... Even the Damn robot says his he, name. He, he, yeah, he played. Um, I, 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 know his face. Like it's in my head. He played Major Andre in Turn, and he was also uh in in Lost in Space. I know exactly who you're talking about. He was, he was like, he, he was, to, he was to Scarecrow what he was to Scarecrow what Will is to well, Robot. He, he wanted to be the Scarecrow. Or he Will wanted to robot. be. And him sacrificing himself is what turned Scarecrow onto their side. Yeah, he, he turned out to be pretty okay. I was, I was rooting for his redemption arc. 
he didn't he didn't strike me as somebody who was bad like you know as far as the character he played like cuz he was he was conflicted the whole time you know he wasn't he wasn't for all of this right what's his name adler ben adler there we go jj field is the one who plays him but the character is ben adler that's who we're talking about adler's arc is i like adler's arc a lot he starts off as this can you trust him guy then you think he's evil and then he redeems himself and that seems to be a, a theme of austin space almost is redemption in season one the robots redeem and then it seems in season two you see the redemption of of dr smith seemingly and arguably, it's also a series about the redemption kind of of John, John Robinson from being away from his family. At least that's kind of some of the things I've taken out of it. I get theme of redemption from this series. Uh, yeah, I mean, are you referring to this season? Well, not, not, not just this season, but overall, if you look back at this season and the first season, that's exactly what it seems like to me, is it's almost like, hey... Here's... No, 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 no. Nothing, nothing redeemed Will in the first season. If I didn't know that he got better in the second season, I would have sincerely hoped that like Will died in a cave or that they just abandoned him on the planet because he he is fairly useless. Aside from his ability to con to talk to the robot, he's pretty flippin' useless. Right. I guess that's a good way to put it. But I still feel like there's a redemption arc in this somehow, and I don't. Maybe I'll be better off with it and figure out more about it later on after season three comes out as to who it would be i mean honestly i think i think i think our listeners should go watch lost in space oh absolutely i think lost in space is definitely something that y'all should take a look at um there are two seasons on netflix and you guys will be able to watch both of them and when season three comes out you know we'll talk about it but moving on from that i want to talk about a youtube channel that we kind of both checked out over the last week it's called Dust. Oh yeah, Dust. Dust is great. It's a bunch of sci-fi films. It's short, short-form sci-fi films. Anywhere between any, I've seen some as short as six minutes, some as long as about twenty-eight to about thirty-five minutes or so. And from the ones I've seen, they all have different messages. They don't really. There's some that connect to each other. Those are clearly labeled if they're a sequel to another one. Um, some decently big names have been in it. From what I discovered, Pedro Pascal of The Mandalorians in one of them. Um, a couple of other people are in them, but it was just a really cool thing to see. Um, I checked out one called FTL, which was the story, I guess, of man's first FTL travel, and that was a really interesting story. Uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I, th- I I liked FTL. Um, what was the other one? I'm trying to remember. See, I also watched one called Hyperlight. Hyperlight was like okay. Um, I. There, there were a couple of other ones that I liked more. I liked Raw. Raw was pretty good. Uh, there was one I watched. I can't remember the name of it, but it's essentially about sleeper cells that are machines. They're humans who don't know they're machines that are sleeper agents for the machine army that we recently had a war against. I haven't seen that one. It was really good. It's also foreign language film. Let's see. Let me actually pull up so my list. So if you don't like reading subtitles, sucks to be you. There's also a pretty good one in which uh, there's there's an attorney who basically has to sit down and do um, some negotiation with uh, with an alien attorney uh, for the uh, the water on our planet. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So yeah, that one was pretty good. So yeah. So let's see. I saw FTL. I saw Raw. Um, I saw Final Offer. I saw FTL. Final Offer was the one. Yeah, I saw FTL uh, and Raw, and then I watched. Uh, screen or seam. Seam was the other one I watched. Hyperlight was one I, didn't I watched see as seam. well. Uh, Wire Cutters was a good one. 
I liked yeah. wire cutters. That was cute. That was uh, that that one. That one was quite telling about greed. And I mean, and there's a lot of videos on here. So don't think we're just talking about a couple, and you know that's all there is. No, there's hundreds of videos on here. They've got about five years worth of content. So I recommend checking them out. Um, this isn't again. This isn't a sponsored episode by anybody. This was just something cool that we found that fit in really cool with the sci-fi summer that was new and unique and can shed some light on on some things for people. They're all well done, well shot. CGI is really good in the ones that have the CGI. Some of them have some stop motion sequences with miniatures, and they all look really good. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's really great. Uh, it's it's really good, high quality production. Uh, you know, I and it's it's got a lot of good actors in it too. It's got some actors from Stranger Things uh, and a couple of yep. other little sci fi things that have been in there. It's 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 really fun. And I mean, this is the sort of thing that I think is really, really cool with YouTube that you can do. You know. Sure, you've got your Let's Play channels and your rants and, you know, your podcasts and your sports shows and all that good junk on YouTube. But you don't see enough short-form film content, or you do, but it never really gets a huge spotlight, it seems. So, uh, yeah. No, I mean, and it's true. Uh, but then again, you know, you have to also consider most um, most actors, you know, that, that we see... Um, you know, even even like our really big stars for for whatever money they end up making in in royalties and and you know extra fees and extra funding, um, you know a lot of times they end up doing small roles that nobody will ever see them in or or really appreciate. Um, so yeah, like you know you you see one person for ten episodes of Stranger Things, um, you know, and and of course you know filming takes another couple of months for for the other episodes that they have to do and then it has to go into post and then they put it out um but the money that they get from that is really it's you know aside again from aside from royalties and extra money they get from merchandising um you know different appearances they're going to have to make uh once that well runs dry it's kind of done you know it it doesn't that that money doesn't keep coming in forever um and so that's that's one thing to consider uh, and so they have to, you know, they have to continue doing stuff. Uh, and so there's Netflix, there's other Netflix projects if they can get stuff like that. But they have to continue doing small productions all the time. Um, and of course, there's, you know, and I, I hate to say it like this because it's not a bad thing. Uh, I'm sure if you've been a, a AAA actor, you know, it, it seems like it's not great. But like there was a movie uh, called Lost in Translation, well, built with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, and it specifically yes. covers this topic of of a of an actor who is just in the decline and he has to move to Japan and start doing a series of whiskey commercials. Um, and for him, it's like the, it's the bottom pit of his life. Cause he's so used to being, you know, a, a movie star, but that just ends up where that's, that just becomes where he has to end up because he's got to make his money. And you know, the, the, uh, the highlight of his career is kind of behind him. And it's, it's, you know, we think it's kind of like funny. It's really satirical, but it's, it's very true. Um, when I was in uh, when I was in Japan, for instance, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is the face of Boss Coffee, uh, and it's him and I want to say Sonny Chiba, but I'm probably wrong. But it's it's him and another like uh, Japanese like mobster kind of actor, and and they are they together are like the face of Boss Coffee. Oh wow! Uh, cool. Which yeah, I I took pictures of it. Um, 
and I, I think it's it's it, well, you can you can look on my Facebook, Corey, when you get a second. Uh, but I, I know I put them up there. But it's it's on the vending machines where I bought coffee, and it's got Tommy Lee Jones. And again, I think it's Sonny Chiba, but I, I might I may be totally off on that one. Um, but it's them wearing suits and sunglasses, and it's like, yeah, Boss Coffee. It's like you know this this canned black coffee that's very robust, uh, and it's just really funny. And that that ends up being you know what it is. It reminds uh, and, me of The Simpsons. Uh, in what sense? The the Homer one. Mr. Sparkle. Yeah, the Mr. Sparkle commercial. Well, that was an accident, though. That was a light bulb company and a fish company coming together. Yeah. But it just, yeah, that's no. what that story reminds me of a little bit. Yeah. But, and, but you know, really, just, just to get back to my point, though, is like, you know, these people have to, you know, they have to act and do other things. I mean, and, and even um, you're finding that the new thing with actors is so that they don't get into that hole, um, you know, if you can even call it that is that they themselves are investing in products or creating new product lines for themselves. Uh, for instance, Ryan Reynolds has uh, Aviation Gin, uh, and um, Hugh Jackman has his, uh, his coffee line, I believe is what it is. Yes, um, actually, I've had the coffee. I don't like it. <laughs> it's okay, now that it's Ryan Reynolds. Um, it's just, I like strong coffee. It's not that strong. I mean, I'm, I'm Cuban, so I, I just... I just don't. I just have my Cafe Bustelo or like you know my Yave or you know and any number of of Cuban coffees because yeah I don't I don't I don't drink Caucasian coffee. Sorry, sorry everyone, your coffee's weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. So yeah, um, but yeah, that's uh you know so these that you're finding that's the that's the new model, so that they don't have to go into these. Uh, what they would otherwise consider to be embarrassing endeavors, uh, you know, for for cash, uh, they start their own company or they do something like that. So that way they can put their face on something else that they've built, as opposed to, you know, having to having to go and subject themselves to being on coffee vending machines in Japan. Yeah, well, you know, that's what happens to do. It is what happens. You know, it's, it's called <laughs> getting old. It's called yeah, getting well... old and becoming irrelevant. You know, if you uh, well, in, I mean, you can't, uh, I can't say Tommy Lee Jones is irrelevant. He's been in an American movie within the last couple of years that didn't do so well, but I thought it was really good, and that would have been Ad Astra. Oh, is that the one? Yeah, he's in Ad Astra. Him and Brad Pitt. It's actually, it's, it's. I, I liked it, but that's another episode. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I definitely should uh take a look at that. But yeah, I mean, it's. It's funny though, you know, because there there's going to come a time and it, it happened to people, you know, back in the day and it's happening to us now. Uh the, the day is going to come when all of these people are essentially going to be irrelevant on the uh you know, on on the media stage. Well, it, so what I do outside of this, it actually shows me how relevant things are when you're talking to people who are literally half your age all day, if not further and they don't have any idea of what you're talking about with things, and it is irrelevant, and they don't know who people are. And I mean, sure, I'm sure if you mention, like, Tom Hanks or something like that, and you have to consider, like, you know, what was... Aside from that Walt Disney movie, um, Mr. I think it was called Saving Mr. Banks or something like that, what was, what was the last relevant thing you saw Tom Hanks in? Like, when you think of Tom Hanks movies, what comes to mind? Aside from Apollo 13, you're not allowed to say it. Uh... Tom Hanks movies, what comes to mind for me, aside from Apollo 13 or the one you mentioned of Saving Mr. Banks, I can Toy Story, 1, 2, 3, and 4, those come to mind as Tom Hanks movies, but yeah, Forrest Gump, um, you know, Philadelphia, Saving Private Ryan, all of those that came out here before those people were born. 
So he is, like it, but it shows you just as you're saying that they borderline on irrelevancy. And here it is. It's with a whole generation. They don't really know who Tom Hanks or let alone. It's not even Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, they probably know more than Tom Bruce. Sure. But also to consider this too. Consider the movies that made Tom Hanks famous. Like Toy Story no. didn't make him famous. No, he was famous before Toy Story. Famous. Big made him famous. Splash made him famous. Philadelphia made him famous. Sleepless in Seattle made him famous. And then because him, him famous because he was already famous. Well, that was it. Well, that was the big the big pull of You've Got Mail was that it was a new romance movie that he was going to be in with Meg Ryan and because they had already been that was basically that that was supposed to be a modern day sleepless in Seattle is what you've got mail was supposed to be yeah but i think that movie came out in like 2003 and sleepless in seattle was like an early 90s film well and then what else did he what what was another big one he castaway is probably one of the bigger movies most people know him from anymore too yeah castaway Polar Express. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind how of. How many Tom Hanks movies can we name? <laughs> Podcast. That's true. You're right. It's not. I mean, unless we're gonna do, you know, degrees to. We're gonna do how many degrees to Tom Hanks? But I mean, we've got a couple I mean, already. Movie was Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks had to be the movie with Robin Williams, right? Well, that's an easy one. We, we, I think we already did that because we. Uh, I think the original one was. It had we it was we we eventually ended up taking like Kevin Costner and Tom Hanks and like finding finding things they'd been in together, but it all comes back to Apollo thirteen. Um, yes, and so since Tom Hanks was already there, like we kind of we kind of already have our starting point. So yeah, so, it's kind of it's kind of easy. Well, what a better way then to lead into talking about Apollo, since we had mentioned the moon landing being fifty one, than by bridging from Tom Hanks at Apollo thirteen to talking about Apollo eleven and Apollo in general. It's one thing Tom Hanks hasn't done. He hasn't landed on the moon. Yet. Elon's I don't gonna think it's going to happen. Nah, Elon's going to fly him up there. Just you watch. If John Glenn can launch up at a space shuttle in his 70s, Tom Hanks can walk on the moon. I want to go on a space shuttle in my 70s. But you know that happened, right, with John Glenn? Uh, I didn't know he went up in his 70s. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, so when we were kids, he was a sitting U.S. senator at the time. Um, and he went up into space with NASA and did experiments and exercising and I think he was in his late 60s, early 70s, right around then. And he was up there so they could see how the human body at an advanced age could survive in space. And who better than one of the original astronauts to do it with? Well, damn. So, yeah, look it up. He went up on, I think it was Atlantis, was the shuttle mission. One of the Atlantis missions. Like 2000 maybe Maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Interesting. I will look that up. So he was the last Mercury astronaut to fly in space. I think he was also the last living Mercury astronaut when he passed away. It's true. Uh, also, speaking of Apollo, uh, we, had some, we had some launches uh, on the anniversary of the Apollo lunar landing. SpaceX launched a South Korean satellite into orbit. Yep, and then... Um... Japan oh, mission. launched like the their uh, 2 mission for the SpaceX one, which I actually have some facts about that SpaceX mission real quick. Sure. Did you know that this launch for SpaceX was their 90th launch? I did. Did you know it was their 13th of the year? Uh, I didn't know about the year, no. That it was the shortest turnaround of a reusable spacefaring object in space flight history at 51 days. That I did know. And that it was also the 57th successful booster landing? I did know that as well. 
Yeah. It's all interesting things to me. Um, and yes, so the satellite was also South Korea's first dedicated military satellite. Which is pretty sweet, you know, in comparison to uh, North Korea. They're still trying to get it up there with a kite. Or um, they'll, they'll get it someday. I'm up there forever. But yeah, that was a cool launch. And it just shows you, and between that and the Minotaur launch, the, the camera well, feeds that SpaceX gives us, I appreciate so much. Absolutely. Um, well, in discussing also, your, we're talking about the Minotaur launch, which is um, predominantly Lockheed Martin. Um, but we also had the, uh, the Japanese launch um, of their rocket with the, uh, I believe it was a, was it Saudi Arabian? Uh, their, their satellite that they were launching for their Hope, yes. uh, the Hope Mars mission? Correct. It was the first air country. Yeah, that's a that's a that's yeah, that's an interesting bit of information there. And um it's always funny. So the the there's always a fun thing about Japanese culture, there's a fun fact about Japanese culture. You find that um as much as we don't like big corporations, and, and by say we, I mean like, you know, you and I, um not to get political. Um but we we like variety in our corporations. We like to believe that specific corporations do specific things. You know, we love Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin doesn't make cars. You know, Chevrolet doesn't make rockets. That's not a thing. Now, granted, of course, we're well, and and well, we can get into the weeds on this in the comments if somebody really wants to debate me on it. Yes, I know Rolls Royce makes jet engines. Yes, I know General Electric makes jet engines. I'm well aware of all of that. But for for the most part, we don't have our rocket companies uh, making you know small vehicles and vice versa. Mitsubishi, on the other hand is a very multifaceted company, aside from making the Zero uh, in the 40s, which was the uh, predominant Japanese fighter of World War II. Uh, Mitsubishi makes cars. Mitsubishi makes shoes. Mitsubishi makes televisions. Uh, and apparently they definitely have a heavy hand in, uh, in, in the rocket industry as well for Japan. So it's always fun uh, to see that because you find that in Japan, companies are a little more robust. Uh, so we were joking about like the coffee makers uh, there are maybe, I want to say, three or four big beverage companies in Japan, and they make everything. So the uh, what we consider to be the high-end Suntory whiskey uh, that you get in the square bottle here in the States that'll cost you upwards of 40 bucks. Uh, Suntory is, is just one of their drink companies. Suntory does everything over there from beer to water to, uh, you know... They do sake, they have a gin... Right, they've got like a Gatorade electrolyte drink. They do juices. Like that they're was just one. Really good though. No, their stuff is great. I love it all. Uh, but Kirin's another one. Kirin, uh, the same company that makes Kirin Ichiban, the the beer. They also yeah, do that. They, they have they have a water. They have an electrolyte beverage. They have a juice. Um, and that's just what they do. Like, but it's because they are a drink company. So it's just like imagine if you know in the same way that we have Coca Cola that does that here. But imagine if Coca Cola also did your Jack Daniel's whiskey. So and 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 that was one of maybe four drink manufacturers that made that also manufactured your whiskeys and your your spirits and your beers. But just mean, a, it's just a fun concept that their their companies they they do like a thing. So like Mitsubishi does, they're not just a an everything. engine company or a car company. They do technology. They do cars. They do TVs. They do computers. They do healthcare equipment. They do the jet engines that helped launch that rocket into space from Japan, which that was a pretty rocket launch too. Oh yeah, there's a. Very efficient. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I don't say that's a. You know, I, I don't say that sarcastically or disparagingly. I say that really. Um, there's always. I love seeing. Uh, I love seeing the best of a culture come out, and and you know, 
for, if, if you can say one thing about the Japanese in general, they, they, they just ooze efficiency. That, that entire launch was very clean. It was, it was, there was no fluff. I listened to them do the countdown. They, they, counted, uh, for, uh, they counted down from over, like, I think they counted down from over 60 seconds, easily. Oh, like, yeah. they, they, did all, they did a whole countdown and, and, on, on their intercom. And they, it just, that was it. It launched, it was up, they, they did the feed, and that was it. There was, there was no fluff, there was no extra cheering, there was, no, there was no, no further exhibition, there was no BS commentary. You know, like, it was just, it was up, it was out, it was gone, that was it. Nice, clean launch. Done. Like, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily get that. You know, we have to, we have to add a, an extra touch of pomp and circumstance. And it's not, it's not really for better or worse. It is what it is. You know, I, I think that a lot of the time that we waste trying to make everything very pretty, they utilize very efficiently just to make sure everything works properly. Oh, absolutely. That's what they do. The one thing about Japan, though, I'll say since we're on it for a moment, I want to go to Japan just to mess with their vending machines. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. It's a great novelty. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. My favorite was when I was in Osaka by our Airbnb. And we had been looking for half a week at this point, because you, you don't really... I didn't see any. In the two parts of Tokyo that I was in, I never saw uh, any of the alcohol vending machines. We'd only heard about them. And so we got to Osaka, you know, and we were we were staying in a section of Osaka called Koreatown in, in our Airbnb, but, like, by the Airbnb within walking distance was a beer vending machine. And so, like, in the absence of of a 7-Eleven nearby, which we eventually found in our second day in Osaka, um, we we kept going to the beer vending machine to stock up on 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 just wares. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's and from what I've seen in just videos and such is that in Japan, it's just true that you can literally find anything in a vending machine. I've heard they even have vending machines that can give you live crab. They're like put they're frozen in suspended animation, and when you crack open the thing, they like thaw out and wake up and start moving. I did not see that there. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just I've saying that I didn't see it there. I've seen banana vending machines where they just vend a banana. Oh yeah, they've got fruit there. They do. They do have fruit vending machines. I've seen Pokemon vending machines. Yes, they do have that. Uh, they've got they have all sorts of toys. They have Gundam vending machines. They have all sorts of wild toys. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, I could honestly, I could really go on for days and days. And I know we days. could, but we probably want to circle no. back to get back to Apollo. I mean. Do we have to? <laughs> well, one one day we're going to broadcast from Japan. That is the goal. One day in Japan. But until that day, let's talk Apollo. Because we do probably want to talk about it since it is that big 5-1 anniversary. 51 years. And I know 50 years was last year. We kind of covered it in a previous in incarnation of the show before we've regenerated into this entity we are now. But we didn't, listening back to it, I feel like we, we, did, we didn't do the moon landing enough justice. Well... And Luckily, to commemorate the occasion, I will be posting my pictures very shortly. Uh, if if you've seen my my preliminaries, uh, you'll have seen the teaser with the uh, Apollo Saturn V rocket uh, Lego model that I put up. And uh, I did indeed build it. It took me six hours and fifty minutes uh, to lay everything out. Um, I will I will put up the completed pictures. Uh, well, by the time this comes out, the completed pictures will already be up. Uh, but we'll take a we'll, we'll put a poll on there, and you guys can we'll see if you guys want to see the entire process. But there are quite a few pictures. That's a little daunting. Yeah, I have some Legos that I'm wanting to build, and some sets I'm going to save up for, like the NES set that they announced. Oh yes, I will probably. It's useless. It does nothing. I'm gonna buy it. 
<laughs> it really does nothing. I mean, all it is is it's a Lego NES with a controller made of Legos, a cartridge made of Legos, and a TV made of Legos that has a scrollable background. And I want it. But, Apollo. We talk about Apollo, and we've briefly mentioned some of the things with Apollo talking about space. But we haven't really gone in-depth on Apollo itself, on the mission, on the rockets, on the technology, on, on, the, on any of it. Because it took a lot to get us to the moon. Um, absolutely. I mean, at the time, NASA's budget was roughly 4% of the GDP. Um, I can't tell you exactly what that would measure out to in today's numbers, but when you consider that what NASA has nowadays is about 0.4% of the national GDP, uh, and we dedicated 4% of our resources, I mean, if, if we do some basic math, uh, approximately 30% of the national GDP goes into a military budget. So you can consider that getting you know, a rocket to the moon costs about 4% of the GDP. So I think 30% it's in today's dollars is about $600 billion. Roughly. And NASA's nowhere near that funded now. I mean, if they were, they wouldn't be taking rides from SpaceX. Well, the purpose for that is actually because NASA, uh, I think NASA realized the flaw in their model um, in, in hoping that they were going to have uh, SLS up in time, uh, and they did not want to have this massive wait time in between missions anymore. So they want to have at least two co uh, civilian contract companies uh, to facilitate rocket launches uh, in between them building their own stuff. Right. So that being said, there are some things about Apollo I'd like to ask you. Because I know you're knowledgeable, and being in Florida near the launching site of everything, I'm sure you have your own Apollo things to talk about, but I guess the first thing I'd like to ask you about is just your thoughts on the fact that we have as more, more technology in an SD card, basically, than we did to get to the moon. And Absolutely. Um, unlike, okay. I don't know if you're like me, but that, it blows my mind to know that it took less technology to go to the moon than the computer system in my car had than my calculator has, than my vape would have in it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's great when you consider, I mean, and really, just for the sake of, like, if some, some real context for our listeners, uh, if you really want to measure uh, how much technology uh, the Apollo rockets didn't have, uh, look at a Texas Instruments TI-30 uh, calculator. And, and that's, that's the basic scientific calculator that you had in, like, high school or middle school. Uh, the Apollo Saturn V rocket, and that's everything. That's the, the command module, that's the Houston Command Center, like, all of it. All of that had less technology than that calculator that you have. And that's a, that is a, a marvelous thought and also terrifying when you, when you consider that. And it's also kind of saddening. Because knowing this, you have to realize that, like, not only did we make it to the moon with so little technology, but that following the ending of those missions, we had a, a government and an agency that had the audacity to say, we, we just don't have the technique to do it. We don't have the technology or the know-how to get to the moon anymore. And all you can think to yourself is, what a farce. Like, there's you know, no way that we don't have the technology now to get to the fucking moon again. If we did it with less technology than we have, why can't we go back? And it's as simple as the fact that we just 
don't. I mean, and it makes we can... you really wonder if those conspiracy theorists are right. Buzz Aldrin, don't punch me in the face. I mean, it's not so much the conspiracy theories per se, but I have a hard time believing that we haven't been back. Uh, only in the sense that we spent so much money and so much training and so much time just to get that far. And I have a very hard time believing that was the furthest extent of us flexing our technological uh, and military muscle for the Cold War. Was that we made it to the moon? That's it. Like, that's it? That's So, like, I understand we have treaties in place to not weaponize space. But let's be realistic here. Governments break treaties all the damn time. Like, Russia put a cannon into space. Uh, we, we had a project for a long time uh, under Reagan for Star Wars. Uh, one of them was called the Rod of God. Yep. And I don't know if we ever actually put it up there, uh, but it was supposed to be a satellite that held uh, tungsten rods that were essentially the length and uh, circumference of a telephone pole with sharpened edges and, and uh, directional veins. And basically the idea was that they were not going to be propelled in any way. They were just going to drop them out of orbit and calculate them and remote control the, uh, the flight surfaces so that they could just drop tungsten rods from the atmosphere. Uh, on on selective targets. So, like, I have a very, very hard time believing, as a, as a military veteran, as a strategic mind, um, you know, as an educated person with, uh, with, with a little bit of background in, in geopolitical strategy and, and history, um, I have a really hard time believing that we didn't find a strategic reason to go to the moon. I have a hard time believing we didn't find a strategic reason to continue our space program. Um, you know, and and look, we'll get into conspiracy theories in a different episode because we've already got that plan further down the road as we continue. But uh, I'll, I'll say this, and this will be my last thought on, on the conspiracy stuff, uh, at least until we discuss it again. But Ben Rich, who was the, uh, the head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works before he died, uh, wrote a letter uh, and basically said that we already have the technology to travel amongst the stars. Uh, but the problem is that it's all wrapped up in government black projects, and it would take, and I quote, an act of God to get them out of there for the benefit of humanity. And this is a man who who literally made his career in working in, in secret government technological aviation aerospace projects. Uh, so, and you know, I, I really do have a... Like, this man, I believe, was at the helm of Lockheed Martin for the SR-71 Blackbird. Um, so I, I really do have a hard time believing... Uh, that that we haven't continued our, our technological expansion. I think it's the biggest kick in the nuts for all of us is going to be the day that we realize that, like, you know, what Elon Musk is working on, what Jeff Bezos is working on with with Blue Origin, with with all of these companies that are just now starting to shoot a bunch of rockets up. I think we're going to be really saddened to find out that they're the ones who are actually behind the curve. Yeah, I could, I, I agree with that, but. You know, and kind of piggybacking off of that makes me wonder if we have the technology to go to Mars, why, you know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that we have been back to the moon. But we also would think that we'd know if we'd been back to the moon based on the fact that, you know, like when the Chinese landed on the moon, they made such a huge proclamation that they landed that I don't think we'd say something about it. Uh, maybe not. I mean, because the last. You have to remember the, there's the, the rule of government disclosure. You know, we. It was the dark side of the moon. So there's, there's one thing there, you know, aside from, you know, utilizing LIDAR to try and do some kind of mapping. Uh, I mean, who's to say that we didn't put something there and hide it? 
you know, uh, also, you know, aliens. Aliens. Well, I don't know. If we show aliens, if aliens show up, you know, all we have to do is go over to them and start taking them out with our screwdrivers and scissors, because apparently that's how you, how you win the fights in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. According to Space Force. Yes, those are things we've learned. So, but just, again, I just have a hard time believing Apollo was our last time at the moon. Um, but there's other things about Apollo. Cause we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that, you know, Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon. But Aldrin was the second man to walk on And don't tell him that he was ace. He was, and it's a fact. And everybody forgets about Michael Collins up in the command module half the time. Because he didn't walk well, on the moon. Well, of course I forget about him, but you know that's that's also the downside to being the pilot. You know, be you, there. You, there's there's the upside to being the pilot, and there's the downside to being the pilot. When you're the pilot, you are actually the guy who got to fly the spaceship, because you have to consider there somebody actually has to be the stick wiggler. Somebody has to have control of the rocket and the flight surfaces. You know, Absolutely. as it as it as it actually goes into orbit, and that person is typically not the engineer, you know, or the biologist, or the geologist that actually has to go and, like, put feet on the surface of, of, the, of the structure, you know, or of the, of the celestial body, rather, to, to do the actual analysis, because they don't have the background in that. The pilot is busy doing pilot things. So, like, he gets to say, I got to actually fly the spaceship. And then the astronauts, the, the, the biologist, the geologist, the engineer gets to go... Right, but I actually put feet on surface. And the pilot's like, damn it, flying the spaceship's not so cool anymore. Right, it's, hey, I don't get to... to I don't to get to be on the moon? moon? Nope. No, you don't. No, you fucking Sorry. don't. You you get to hang out in orbit. Come pick us up when we're done, taxi man. Right. Oh, jeez. Poor guy, though. And that, It happened to all of the missions, because people remember Alan Shepard walking on the moon with Apollo 12, you know? Um. Everybody remembers Apollo 13. One of the worst was Alan Shepard Apollo 12 or was Alan Shepard? It was Apollo 12. I feel like I feel like Alan Shepard was it? I could have sworn I felt like I feel like Alan Shepard was something else. He was either 12 or 14. I think he was Apollo 12, and the only Mercury astronaut to walk on the moon. Maybe that was it. I think I think that's why I think he was a Mercury astronaut, and that's why the name is familiar. Yeah, he was the only. Mercury astronaut to walk on the moon. It was supposed to be Gus Grissom, but he tragically died in the fire of Apollo 1. So. That's why he's he was the first American to travel into space. Yes. That's 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 why I know him. Uh, I don't know him. I didn't know him specifically for the moon because John John Glenn was the first one to go around the world. In, in, Correct. In so space. the first American yeah, the first American to orbit Earth was John Glenn. Right. And but, Alan yeah, Shepard was the first was American the first. in space. Yes. And he hit golf balls on the moon. That's pretty cool. It's not as cool as, like, you know, it's not as cool as banging out green women. But, you know, that's fine. I guess Kirk is a superior yeah, astronaut in some ways. I think it was Apollo 17 that took the Ooh, first... Kirk? No, Apollo 17 was the first Apollo... was an Apollo mission that took the first geologist to the moon. And only geologist to the moon. He was a civilian. He wasn't wasn't a trained astronaut. Which I thought was really, really cool. I mean, yeah, up until a point, they only took military pilots, and then after a while, they opened it up to, to different kinds of scientists. Yeah, different scientists is 
but but it's still one of those things where it's just it's really cool that they took a geologist to the moon. I think. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm surprised it didn't take one sooner. Honestly, it it just makes sense to me. I know. I know that for the time, you know, you people still peg scientists as as you know the the eggheads or the lab rats, you know, who just do their their work there, and they're not they're not the you know the tough the tough explorers. But I mean, it would just it always makes sense to me whenever we're talking about this particular this particular field um, that you would want, you know, you'd want the geologist there. In the same way that you don't just want the marine biologist or the, you know, the, the submarine operator to be the one going down to the Mariana Trench, like you would also want a geologist and, and you know, other kinds of scientists, uh, you know, going into those depths to, you know, to explore and see what they can, what they can glean from everything. You know, I think we, but I think we have it in our head that there's, you know, only specific kinds of things that, you know, sciences that need to be involved or only specific kinds of scientists that should be involved in certain things. You know, it's not just the astrophysicist. It's not just the engineer that should be going into space, you know, especially when we take the uh, the cue from Rick and Morty that everything exists in fucking space. Uh, so, you know, you you should want a biologist, you know, who, of course, in turn becomes an astrobiologist. Uh, you should want a botanist to to see if plants can grow in space in some way. You know, we we you know we need all of these sciences because everything does indeed exist in space, and we have to, you know, do what humans do. We measure. Right. No, we absolutely do what humans do. We have to measure. So that's why it made sense. But that's also, I guess, with that coming with the geologist on the moon is also how we learned about how old the moon was, how it formed, etc. Which apparently now is also up for debate. Yeah, apparently it's younger than we thought it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certainly curious. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different theories though as to, as to, you know, all sorts of things that were formed. I mean, it, it always, it always gets crazy whenever we discuss, um, whenever we discuss history and we talk about, you know, what our, what our understandings of, of history are. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the genesis of, of our universe, as it were. There's the, uh, the theory that the asteroid belt was a planet that, that got broken up. Which I mean could be entirely possible. We don't know. I mean, sure it could, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, but then again, there's also the theory that the moon is, that the moon is artificial. That the moon is the moon is fake. It's not a it's not a real thing. It's uh it's it is a created structure that is hollow. Uh, and and one of the theories behind that is because based on what they understand the texture of the moon to be and the density of the moon, that the craters on the moon should be deeper than they actually are. But because they are more shallow, that it uh, belies the idea that there is some kind of shell and that there's just a layer of dust on it. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of, I mean, a lot of the stuff can, is very far out there. Maybe we should go find the pictures from the Israeli moon lander, you know, crash the gray sheet, and then they can prove to them that the moon isn't hollow. Because if the moon was hollow, it would have just gone right through it, right? At the speed it crashed into it. Uh, that, that is possible. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. That, that depends on what the moon is made of. You know, if it's if it's rock or if it's dust or if it's cheese. It's cheese. You know, might ha- it might be. That's cheese. why we haven't gone back to the moon. You understand, right? We went to the moon and discovered it wasn't made out of cheese, so we didn't go back. After it took us until Apollo 17 to search it enough to realize, okay, there's no cheese here. We got to go back. Well, I mean, you know how we Americans are. We like to put cheese on everything. Americans and French, we like they like their cheese. Although the uh, the Chinese did find green goo uh, inside of a crater on the dark side. Leave it to the Chinese to find strange goo. That's rude. 
Well, I don't even know. I, mean, what, I don't even know what that means. I tell you what, they found strange goo on the dark side of the moon. Is it just the ranch dressing we left there because us Americans and our ranch dressing? That's also possible. I don't know. Americans let we left four hundred and nine different kinds of trash on the moon. That's a fact, by the way. I understand. We pollute everywhere we go, including the fucking moon. That's the American way. There's yeah, also like bag, you... there's bags of human waste up there. There's I mean, literally bags yeah. of human poo on the moon. You know, it makes you wonder if you go to the Apollo 11 site, <laughs> if everything's still there, how it holds up in the vacuum of space. Just step in, like, 30-year-old poo? Could you just imagine lighting a bag on, trying to, you know, pull the old paper bag on fire trick in space, you get to the airlock and put it in there and light it on fire with 30-year-old poo? I think that you would actually just kill everyone on board because it's all pure ox in there. So, like, you would you would combust all of the pure oxygen along with the but poo. But it's not You'd pure have... ox. NASA learned their lesson in Apollo 1. <laughs> don't set the rocket on fire from the inside well yeah, that's the, so apollo 1's whole disaster was caused by a loose wire in in the in this in the module there was a loose wire that sparked and because they had a 100 percent pure oxygen environment inside of it it rapidly caught fire that's when they started using an oxygen nitrogen mix americans, which they had americans only do americans only do smart things when you know when we kill each other we're, we're very reactive. Yes. I mean, again, we are the country that spent how much inventing a pen to work in space when our nearest competition just said, eh, we bring pencil. It's true. So, but on that, I guess that's our week. Pretty much. So, thank you all very much for listening. Hopefully, we're entertaining. And until next time. Bye, everybody. Fuck Kathleen Kennedy. Fuck Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs>